0: Hello and welcome to Messages at BBC. In these messages, you'll hear from professors, staff, guest speakers, as well as students. These messages were spoken and recorded on campus at Boise Bible College. If you'd like to check out Boise Bible College, please see our website at boisebible.edu.
1: Boise Bible College, my name is Vance Russell, and uh, we use Unveiling Grace as a textbook in our Mormonism class. Cool and, that. Uh, Yeah, yeah. And our, our students always really enjoy uh, reading through that. It helps them understand it from a more personal perspective, and uh, I've enjoyed working with, uh, with Lynn uh, here and, and at Eagle Christian Church also. So uh, if there's anybody else that didn't get a hand up, make sure you wave with me. I'll make sure that you get one. And we'll turn it over to uh, to Lynn. How about I pray, and we'll we'll get us started. Uh, Almighty Lord, thank you for uh, for this uh, opportunity to come together this week uh, to be fed from your word and your truth, Lord. I thank you for for Lynn, and I thank you for the wonderful ways that you have worked in and through her life, and in and through her family, and that she now has um, this this wonderful story that you have redeemed, uh, that you are able to uh, to to bless us through. Uh, their experience and what they have learned, and we pray that now, that as we um, as we hear this, that you'll give us attentive ears and hearts, and uh, equip us so that we will better be able to share your truth with our Mormon friends and and neighbors that we love and that you love. We pray all this in Jesus' name, Amen. Yeah. yeah. All right. No problem. This is several years worth of work from the Adams program.
0: That say dark skin is a curse still in Mormon scripture. I mean, there's some bizarre stuff in there. Polygamy is an eternal principle. Um, to be lived, the worthy men who earn godhood are rewarded in that way. Uh, much like Islam, by the way, there are many, many parallels between Islam and Mormonism. Do you know that Joseph Smith actually knew? that Mormonism was a lot like Islam, he called himself the second Muhammad. So think about this for a minute. Satan's not very creative. He found something that works, right? Um, In the Muslim faith. And they just kind of repackaged it in Mormonism. Let me walk you through those parallels just for a second, okay? (laughs) So... um, Another angel brings another gospel, right? Muhammad goes into a cave. He has this kind of demonic experience that frightens him. He thinks he's seen a demon or something. He runs home, tells his wife. She says, oh, no, that was from God, right? Joseph Smith goes into a grove to pray. The church is true. He has a demonic experience. Did you know that? It says right in Mormon scripture that he was overcome thought he was going to die. And then all of a sudden he saw a light. Huh, those are kind of similar experiences, right? Both start out believing in Abrahamic faith. You know, Islamic, the patriarchs and stuff. But then we need an additional scripture to explain how it really works. And that turned it into a system of works. So in Islam, you know, there are five pillars of Islam, things that you have to do in your lifetime if you hope to be saved. You will freak really, with the parallels to Mormonism. And I only know this because the book Unveiling Grace has had Muslim converts, and one of those converts was from United Arab Emirates. His father was an imam. He preached to 5,000 every week. He was very gentle. American. This kid goes off to college in London and um, finds Christian. He, he ended up reading Unveiling Grace, realizing he was in false faith, getting saved. But I don't know what to do with him, because I didn't know anything about Islam. as So, Rob Zacharias is, um, oh, the guy who died of cancer. Um, the the Qureshi. Health test helped us sort things out. And the real by the way, uses the book on Gail Grace as he's going to be so long. own the last time he spoke in the tabernacle, he had um, someone close to him call me up and say he had just read the book like before. And I don't know if you know that he spoke about 10 years earlier. It was very bland and vanilla and hard to see any differences after he read the Grace. His talk was very, but he was very gracious. Robbie would say things like, it's amazing how one man can make millions of people asserting But then he wouldn't say that was Joseph Smith, and then he would just go on. You know, and the, the Mormon leaders on the stage were looking like, oh he would not. He's worked. Well, well, long long. Long. Hey. Like so Islam. Um if you hope to be saved in Islam, you know, there's this. Good and bad. If you do more good than bad, then Allah can decide whether to save you or not. But it's up to Him. And you don't know in your lifetime ever if you say at the end of your life, if you've done enough, He might save you. exact thing in Mormonism. Eternal life is never a guarantee except for there's one exception. Eternal life is not a guarantee in Mormonism. You have to have a temple recommend. Do all the right things. Go to the temple until the end of your life. And if you've done enough, God's grace might begin to say, oh, I think I just said it I'll do right? Reward many women in heaven between Islam right? and Mormonism. But here was the freaky one. This this kid that we he helped to Christ had been on the hajj. One of the five things you have to do when you say in Islam is you have to make a pilgrimage to Mecca sometime during your lifetime. This kid had been on the hajj maybe nine times, so he's real familiar with it. He said that if your grandma never got that's from the other hour. We need the other ones. as the my world and it changed my life and you will be recognized now. So Unveiling Grace has become a bestseller, right? So when it first came out in 2013, faith, okay, this is our ministry, Ex-Mormon Christians United for Jesus, that's our logo and that is our website, unveilingmormonism.com, I told Micah's story last time, this is the Adams Road ministry, so those are two of my sons, my son-in-law and the little girl in the yellow, oh my goodness, do you know that God is saving polygamists? God is saving polygamists. That little girl is from the LeBaron colony in Mexico. God laid on the heart of a Calvary Temple pastor in Texas to go down into the LeBaron colony just over the border in Mexico and start a Bible study right there in polygamy territory. That eventually became a church building. This little girl got saved at 13. And then the pastor wanted her out of there before they dared her off. And so Adams Road, my kid's ministry, runs a bed and breakfast. And they said, can she come live and work at the bed and breakfast? Learn about Jesus, get herself solid in the outside world. And they found out she could sing. She's got a testimony that will just make me sleep under the table Uh, father's beat the kids, you know, sexual abuse, physical, all kinds of horrendous stuff, and yet, God saved her, then a cousin, then another cousin, and our bed and breakfast has been the place for those girls to go at 18 before they can marry them off and um, come to know the Lord, Didn't expect that. So last September, we were actually invited by a ministry, Christian ministry in Colorado City, uh, Warren Jeffs territory, to present our testimonies in the high school auditorium. Eight polygamists came and one uh, put her hand up and gave her life to Jesus. God is breaking open some stronghold areas that have not been touched. For a long time. Crazy God. Step into it. I hope that you will. Seven reasons we left Mormonism just gives quick doctrinal differences. It's only $5. Um, John Ankerberg asked us to write that book, he promotes it. This is the one that has um, become a bestseller. Many, many Mormons have found their way out of the church into Jesus. It gives them direction. Um, Mormons often say to me when they find it and read it, "I always knew something was wrong, but now, you know, this gave me a place to go, gave me direction." This book was written by four of us with doctorates who left Mormonism, and it's geared to people who have left Mormonism, gone to atheism and agnosticism. It gives our reasons to believe in God. Uh, it addresses things like the problem of evil you know, the typical atheist kind of stuff. Okay, and then this book just came out with Sean McDowell last summer and Eric Johnson with Mormonism Research Ministry. They went through to all the ministries that help Mormons to Jesus, and each of us did a chapter on how we evangelize. So these are the resources. This is all free. Missionary911.com, if you want to witness to missionaries. This is a pretty good thing. Okay, and then last September, God opened the door for us to begin a podcast. So I do a podcast with Joel Grote of the the, uh, Institute for Religious Research Ministry. He's the theologian, (laughs) and I'm the uh, out-of-Mormonism person. And um, it is on Christian Radio out of Salt Lake. I'd love to get it on Christian Radio here locally and out of Phoenix. I think those are other two big areas where it would be helpful if any pastors are um, interested in supporting that. But it's free. I mean, you can find it on uh, YouTube, Uh, uh, iTunes. All right, Mormon culture. I don't know how familiar you are with Mormon culture. They're all about the hierarchy. Leaders are really important. Leaders have people under them. They send them to do things. They send them to do. So in the Mormon temple, there's this great part in the temple where Adam's driven out of the Garden of Eden, and he builds an altar and he's praying. And the very next thing you see in the Mormon temple movie is God and Jesus are up in heaven and they're walking back and forth talking to each other. And Heavenly Father says to Jesus, Go down and check on the man Adam. And that's what I became. I'm <laughs> reading the Bible going, Didn't I? just pray And then I realized the God warned him body, by flesh and bone, which means he can't be omnipresent, right? He probably didn't hear Adam's prayer. So he goes to Jesus and says, Go down and check on the man Adam. Jesus goes to Peter, James, and John because it's an Amway CEO kind of clinic. <laughs> <laughs> Jason and John go down and check on the man it, and report back up the line and then it says in the temple and I know this because I worked in the temple for 10 years it says Heavenly Father was surprised to find Satan on the earth leading the posterity of Adam's strength what? Adam's strength God's telling me, wait a minute, I never heard his prayer. Okay, so here's another big thing between their God, the nature of their God, and the nature of your God, right? Leaders are essential for them. you got to have somebody at the top who's talking to deity who can bring it down the line. As a Mormon woman, I wasn't allowed to pray and receive a revelation for anything in life that was within my stewardship, is what they call it. So, if I was Belief Society president over all the adult women in the ward, I could receive a word from God about one of the women that I had authority over. But I couldn't receive a message for my husband, maybe for my kids. See how that works? So in their system, you have important people, and they have jobs, and they have 40. They're all about 40 in priesthood. They tend toward political conservatism. You probably know that. Um, Proselytizing is huge in the Mormon church. Lots of missionaries. Outward appearance is extremely important. You don't want to see a tattooed-up Mormon, although there is a girl who calls herself the tattooed Mormon. Um, they display Christian behavior. In fact, they're very nice. I remember the first time I was on BYU's campus, you'd go to these offices and I'd need keys for my office, and I'd say, I need keys for my office. And this sweet little blonde girl would smile at me and say, I'm sorry. (laughs) You know, very nice people, right? Just very overly nice, not necessarily helpful, but they're, they're very nice. And I kept thinking, why don't you just do it? I, I appreciate your smile, but... Okay, achievement is very important to the LDS, very industrious, and they may be absolutely exhausted in striving for perfection. So there's another good point for a Christian. Befriend them, be there for them, be authentic... Be a place where they can come because they can go to their Mormon friends and talk about weaknesses. Why not? That friend might go to the bishop. The bishop might yank them in and take their temple recommend away and there goes your eternal life. So see how your authenticity is another very desirable thing for a Mormon. That you are honest Why can't you now and then say, wow, I've really struggled with this? Or, wow, I'm full of pride. You know, I just really struggle with that. I'm always asking God to help me with that. You wouldn't believe what I did the other day. That's so counterintuitive to Mormonism that for some people that's very helpful, and it draws them. Um, Let's see what else we have. Family is everything to them. They're into traditional and gender roles. Children are revered. I remember moving to, to Utah and going out to restaurants and seeing kids running everywhere thinking, oh, my goodness. <laughs> I come from a place where my parents made me march, you know. Children of LGBT parents could not be baptized LDS until just a couple of weeks ago. That has changed again. They made that policy in, like, 2013, and they had such a backlash that they've reversed it. LDS scripture and prophet trump the Bible. So, living prophet trumps a dead prophet, and a living prophet trumps the Bible, which is a dead word, scripture that's dead word. Most converts come from traditional Christian faith. 83% of the people that join the church as a result of Mormon missionaries and Mormons. Um, Come right out of nominal Christianity, like me. I was raised Presbyterian. I couldn't have told you how to get saved. We never opened the word at my house. My parents did get radically saved after I left home. They very much dislike and avoid contention. So Christians like to do this direct nose to nose, let's have an argument kind of thing because we're kind of authentic and we like that. They don't like that very uncomfortable for them, you're going to have to use a Columbo technique and use questions. They have um, an allegiance to the one true church, and they have things that are sacred to them that they keep from the public and they don't want to talk about. So, these are landmines not to step on when dealing with Mormons. Avoid contention. Avoid behavior that they consider disrespectful. So if I was a woman, I wouldn't wear something that they thought was inappropriate if I was trying to share the gospel with them. That's really offensive to them. Um, I would avoid pressing them to talk about things like polygamy, racism, whether there's DNA evidence for the Book of Mormon peoples, Joseph Smith's character, church history. Honestly, we offer the word. And see many, many, many people respond. These are these are good people. These are respectful people. Um, these are people who like Jesus. And many of them, even when they find out Mormonism is not true, they still want to keep Jesus. And they don't. They're not sure who he is. We really need to help with that. That's what Christians are here for. Um, pray. Pray God will show you who he's already drawing to Jesus within your sphere of influence. Pray that God will break the spirit of blindness over unbelievers. In Micah's testimony, if you were here last time, he says that um, a Baptist pastor challenged him to read the Word, and he read the New Testament 12 times, and eventually, to an African-American large, once tried out for the NFL, um, Pentecostal pastor and tried to convert him to one This was that man's response. He threw his arms around my head and he prayed, God, break the spirit of my God. Now, I think that prayer had power Because then, when he encountered the next pastor he tried to convert. And that man challenged him to read the Bible and find out for himself what the gospel was. His eyes were open. Strangely. Pray that God will break the spirit of lyingness. Pray for an attitude of love and compassion. Pray that they will not sense contention. You know what happens if they sense contention or they think you're pushing at them? I know the church is true. I know Jesus was, uh, you know? I know Joseph Smith was a prophet I know the Book of Mormon is true they're taught to default to their testimony if anything gets uncomfortable so you know you've shut the door you, you don't want them to go there the Book of Mormon says contention is of the devil so if you're presenting something opposite what they believe and you get insistent yeah They think it's coming from the devil. And it's almost like you can see them going, la, 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 I'm not listening to you. And especially if they feed their testimony back to you. You've pushed them to a place where they don't know where else to go. You don't want to do that because they shut down. You want to use those questions. Pray that they will come to trust the Bible as an infallible word of God. Okay. Um... Witnessing to LDS should have both of these components: a reasoning component, and I want to tell you, Mormons are not used to this. They do not use a reasoning brain in faith. They're pretty much taught to shut down their brain in faith. This is their definition of faith: faith is never doubted. So, following your prophet blindly. If you question anything, you don't have faith, and God's not pleased with you. Every religious word that you use, they're probably going to use. Heaven, angels, hell, salvation, atonement, none of those mean the same as yours. But because they say things like, I'm saved by grace, Jesus died on the cross for me, you're like, oh, they must be Christians. None of those things that I just said mean the same thing to a Mormon as it does to a Christian. But you don't figure that out unless you ask them, oh, Jesus died on the cross for you? So what does that mean to you? So why did Jesus have to die for you? So what does his death do, right? You have to dig down. You have to just ask more questions. Again, they think you're interested in their faith, and you are. You're going to have to learn a little bit about what they think and what they believe in order to bring them to the Lord, right? And that's true for anybody who's outside of Jesus. And here's the second part. Mormons are very emotional about your faith. You noticed in Micah's video, he cries. And women's look for that. That's how they tell whether it's really important. So if you're just doing the reasoning thing, it doesn't make sense to them. Right? They need both the reasoning, the reasons why the Bible's true, and then what? how does that play out in your everyday life? What does that mean for you? What do scriptures do for you? That kind of thing. The Bible says one who wanders from... The way of good sense will rest in the assembly of the dead. Not using reasoning in faith, you'll end up literally not in heaven. This is what the Mormons are taught. Um, if, if something's right, I will cause that your bosom shall burn within you, therefore you shall feel that it's right. Um, Andy Poland, this is my favorite YouTube video. False prophet Andy Poland's testimony. You might want to look this up. This is a former Mormon, now Christian. Christian. Uh, now Christian, now strong Christian, yeah. who tells how feelings when he was Mormon tricked him. Mm-hmm. So he, he actually had a feeling that his wife was going to die. And that he was going to get this new wife, and he moved this new wife into his house, and then he had an affair with this new wife, and then his wife didn't die. So it's, it's a powerful story about how depending on feelings is not a reliable source for truth. Very powerful. I've shown that to several Mormons. This verse really impacts me. Uh, Matthew 15:19. Jesus is talking about how evil a heart is and what kind of evil things spill out out of an evil heart. And notice one of those things he mentions is a false testimony. And when I read that, I realized I used to stand at the Mormon podium and bawl and bawl and bawl and say, I know Mormonism is true. I know Joseph Smith was a prophet. And I was feeling it. And yet, God himself says out of evil heart can come with a false testimony so these are scriptures that are good to be aware of to kind of look at if you're ever in them in with mormons so Greg kokel from the ministry stand to reason has a technique he calls the colombo tactic and this is definitely what you need to use with mormons and you are just asking questions so that they're thinking things through, and then you're going to set up a dilemma. So I'm going to ask questions, and then I'm going to use the Bible. So Jesus was really, really good at using questions to get people to think about things. Now here's kind of a standard question that you can use for a lot of different things. So how have you resolved the fact that Mormon scripture teaches this or the Mormon prophet or your church or whatever or you believe that but Jesus said the opposite in the Bible. But Jesus said something else in the Bible.
1: So how have you like
0: come to terms with the fact that those conflict, right? They won't know they conflict until you bring them to their and that's what that handout is all about. Remember, I said if you show them a bunch of conflicts in the Word, they're just going to say, "Oh, well, I don't believe the Bible." You're going to pull out the ones that are Jesus Himself talked about. All right. So here we go. Um. Let's let's start with these 10 topics. This is actually on the Adams Road website. Um, You can pull it off and use it as much as you want. We're trying to turn this into an ex-Mormon Bible study. It's 40 things Mormonism teaches that kind of need to be relearned um, with Scripture. So this is the first thing that The Mormon missionaries teach. They use this scripture in 2 Thessalonians. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first. This is what they will tell you that means. After the 12 apostles died, Jesus' church went into an apostasy, it failed. Well, let's look at the rest of that scripture. That's only the first half of that verse. Here's the thing about Mormonism. Often if you just open the Bible and look at the rest of the verse, or look at the next verse, or look at the verse before it, it explains exactly what it says, and it's not what they say it says. So here's one example in Isaiah 37. Mormons always say, two stickies. In one hand, the two sticks are the Book of Mormon and the Bible. See, two sticks in one hand. You read right down there. It goes: the two sticks are Israel and Judah, and they will come together again one day. Duh! It's right there. But as a Mormon, I just believe what they said. Didn't ever read it in context. And they have manuals for everything, and you have to stick to the manuals. So I used to teach Mormon seminary. And we had student manuals. So all the high school kids get ready for their missions. I'm um, teaching them the scriptures, but they're learning the scriptures from the manual. That teaches the Mormon principle like those 40 things, like priesthood authority, and then a cherry picks scriptures in the manual that supposedly support that doctrine. Again, if you just open the word, you need context that's it. not what it says at all, right? All right. Well, let's look at this verse about the great apostasy. For that day will not come unless, well, I Paul ESV, unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed. Who's the man of lawlessness? Probably the Antichrist, right? This is an and. This isn't an or, or it's not a next. Okay, the rebellion comes first, or the falling away comes first, and then the man of lawlessness is revealed. So I'll look at that verse with warmth, and then I'll say. don't know that because nobody points it out to them, so you just have to have conversations and open the word. And if you're talking to the missionaries, it's really easy to open the word. You can just say, do you mind reading this and explaining it to us? Because I don't get this. Right? Well, they won't get it either. And of course, this is my favorite with the great apostasy. Jesus himself, speaking, I should have put these in red, on this rock Mormons say the rock is revelation from Jesus to the prophets. Of course, the rock throughout scriptures has always been Jesus. On this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell should not prevail against it. So I'll pull that out, and I say, wow, you're confusing me with this great apostasy because some of you have read the Bible. Do you mind explaining this to me? Literally, I've had Mormon missionaries read the verse out loud, Get what it's saying, turn be red. Because they've never read it before. They didn't know that was there. They don't know what to do with it or how it. And then sometimes I'll just say, well, you know, we don't know all things in this life. But my prayer is you go home and you you open that Bible and you see, did Jesus really say that? Why would he say that? Right? Because that refutes Mormonism right there.
1: But they just reflect and say that wasn't the true church.
0: Yeah, they could say it's not translated correctly. However, do you believe the words of Jesus? Yeah, I believe the words of
1: Jesus. That's
0: what they'll tell me. Is that Jesus speaking? So how do you explain that? Either Jesus was not aware his church was going to fall. Is that the case? I don't know if they hadn't thought this through, but you, you can walk them through the logic. Or that's not translated correctly. So somebody didn't write Jesus' words down correctly. I mean, that can really rock someone's world because they've believed that all that, all that time. So here you go. How do you resolve the fact that the LDS church teaches there was a great apostasy, but Jesus said... He was going to establish his church, and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. Doesn't that seem like a conflict to you? Well, I didn't know any of this was in the scriptures. <laughs> we didn't read the Bible. We didn't trust it. Again, if they tell you I don't trust the Bible, I ask them, do you trust the words of Jesus? I've never had a morning tell to no. Alright, here's the second one. The Word of God. This is a big thing you're going to have to deal with with Mormons. Again, don't hit against the Book of Mormon and don't hit against their faith, but you're going to have to know the evidences for the Bible and you're going to be able to articulate them without beating somebody over the head with them. Why do you believe the Bible? Are you a fool? Some people would say, well, I don't know. How do you defend it? You should be able to defend that, right? The scripture tells you it's living and active. And if you tell an atheist, well, because the Bible says it's living and active, they'll say, you're going to use the Bible to support the Bible when I don't believe the Bible? I mean, that's not a rational... Is that a rational argument? Not for somebody who's not a believer. They're going to have some... They have to have something more real than that. So, here are just some of the things that I'll talk to a Mormon about. Wow, I didn't know. 66 books, 40 authors written over all that time, and yet, it all hangs together. It's a consistent message. I I was surprised because I didn't find that in my Mormon scriptures. The Book of Mormon says, polygamy is an abomination, and every doctrine of Romans 1.32 says, polygamy is an eternal principle. I just kind of ignored my Mormon scriptures because they were all of the and because the God kept progressing and changing his mind, right? But this Bible... It's all the same. It's all about Jesus. Everything points to Jesus from the Old Testament. Then Jesus comes, fulfills all that stuff. You've got, you know, more than 5,800 Greek New Testament manuscripts, just Greek alone. When you're looking at Aramaic, Syriac, Egyptian, the other Middle Eastern languages, 25,000 or more. Do you know that? Do you know there are early manuscripts? And you can look at things like the Iliad and the Odyssey. And I think it was 900 years later mm-hmm. when it was written that somebody found a manuscript. And now we've got New Testament manuscripts from like 2nd century, right? There's a fragment of Mark now that I think might be 1st century. But God has made the evidence for his Bible overwhelming. There is nothing like that for the Book of Mormon. It's not internally consistent. There are no original manuscripts. The gold plates disappeared with an angel, supposedly. That was the only original manuscript, right? Um, Archaeological digs? No. We have 30,000 for the Old Testament alone. We have secular historical corroboration. We have linguistic, botanical, animal DNA. It's all there. I had no idea as a Mormon. They have no idea. If a Christian's not going to tell them, I don't know who he is. Please make these things part of your conversation and get familiar with this. Um, do we know when we're supposed to finish this session? 3.30. 3.30. Okay, good. Then I want you to break into partners. out You just shut down. I didn't even know there was a persecuted church. Can you imagine that? That's how much, that's how big that bubble is. That's how controlling, how comprehensive that bubble is. So here's the question for your Mormon friend. Or you right, his friend, given that the linguistic, the historical, the archaeological, the plant, the animal, the DNA, the doctrinal, and other evidence for the Bible, and I didn't say secular, historical, right, um, is overwhelming from sources, both religious and secular, do you have similar evidence for the Book of Mormon? Now, isn't that a reasonable question from someone who's trying to share their faith with you? You're Christian, you don't know much about Mormonism, you're just innocently asking these questions. Again, if they said, I would trust the Bible, ask them, so do you trust the words of Jesus and try to use those. Third topic you're going to address is living prophets. Are we supposed to have prophets today? Nope. Since when? Foundationists. Jesus himself said something about prophets. Can you know what he said in Luke 16 and 16? The law and the prophets were until John the Baptist. Whew! That's Jesus' own word. And yet, in order to get a Mormon temple recommend, you have to answer 14 questions properly. Like, have you attended your meetings for at least a year? Have you paid your tithing for at least a year? Have you lived the Word of Wisdom for at least a year? And do you sustain the president of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints as the prophet, seer, and revelator? And that's for the whole world, for Mormons. And do you recognize him as the only person on earth authorized to exercise all priesthood keys? They're all about a living prophet. But the Bible's pretty clear on that one. The law and the prophets were until John the Baptist, and that's Jesus speaking. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached. There's a place you can go, have them read it, ask them what they think. Four or five of these will start to make them really nervous. You might want to be really gentle and stick to one topic at a time. Hebrews 1.1. Long ago, many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son.
1: That's even more powerful than the yeah.
0: So here's the logic, yeah. right? He needed prophets when Jesus wasn't on the earth to speak for himself. Then he came and he spoke and they wrote his words down. Now who needs to speak for him? Didn't he say everything he needed to say?
1: So the conversation was,
0: your companions uh, something like 22 chapters right out of Isaiah right into mm-hmm. the Book of Mormon um, Matthew 5 the Beatitudes yeah. right in the Book of Mormon so to a Christian it sounds very Christian if you're a normal Christian you can live with all the rest of the therefores and roundabouts and whatever the <laughs> Book of Mormon and all the stories right if you don't know that you're not supposed to add to um is one more important than the other? Well, certainly the Book of Mormon is what they try to get people to come into the church on, and yes, it was what the prophet kept telling us to read over and over and over as families. In thirty years of Mormonism, the prophet never once told us to read the Bible as a family, and I bet that continues. Don't read it because you'll figure out what's in it, and then you've got a problem, right? So they're
1: actually using it as tool right now. You know they did for a while that other testament. Yes. Heard of the Old Testament and then the New Testament. Here's it and then they give you a free book of Mormon. Right. Now in our area, the Seattle area, they're they're, they're giving away Bibles. Yes. Like crazy. They're saying get this free Bible and no word of Mormonism or LDS or anything. It's just text this number and you get a free Bible. Then they call you yes. get your address and they say we'll bring it to you. We're not going to mail it to you. We're going to bring it to you. And that's how they get in past the door and knock mm-hmm. cold call. I've haven't, I've haven't been on any of but that seems like this is tailor made for that. I mean, it seems like we should order, <laughs> we should all order free Bibles <laughs> and get them, and you, about it. you can yeah. go on the website and yeah. sign up for the missionaries to come, and they're more than happy to come. There's us. a free
0: Bible post uh, on the billboard on Shinden, I'm not sure, right? Uh, on Shinden, right uh, up here, it the says missionaries. It's the missionaries have come to come uh, often to our door, and uh, we've always welcomed them in, and uh, we've had. Probably about four or five different meetings that they've come and there's on the, on the fourth or the fifth, the last one, on the last meeting, and um, they have uh, every time somebody has tried, and every time they've got indignant with us and said, "We believe in our testimony," and,
1: and they're really hurt. Um, they've they're, they're, they're
0: hurt that doubt. We've given them doubts in their mind. Mm-hmm. What we want to do if you're witnessing Mormon missionaries is to get them to come back enough times that you get enough of the word in them that it happens to convict them. Mm-hmm. So you should be able to get them to come back 16 times or so. So I'm not asking you to be deceptive, but I'm asking you to use questions and not Shoving things down their throat and make it look like you're totally closed to talking to them. You want to talk to them. That's the whole point, right? Um, And and you want to love them. That's what their first things are. Can you lean all their mom? Can you make them cookies? Can you? But I warn you, if you've got people of lesser faith in your family, I would not. They sometimes get drawn in, so you have to be careful with that as well.
1: Yeah. Um, I think I found it a, a great way to talk with not just the missionary but with people we have friends or coworkers that are at LDS, especially this year they have a manual called Come Follow Me, that's working through the whole New Testament. And right up front, granted it's a manual and it's very cherry-picking of a lot of verses, but right up front it has them read the whole scriptures, the chapters at a time. And so you can encourage them to do that and then just go from there and talk about it. working through a co
0: that is awesome. So the Bible thing with Mormons, about two years ago we were in the Boise area, and the Mormon churches had signs out front that said Bible study Tuesday nights. They were trying to draw people into the Mormon church for Bible study, and my husband and some other people went a couple of times and you know got them to admit that they believed in separate gods and that they didn't believe in the Trinity and some of that, and then they ended up closing those down because... <laughs> of course, for the innocent people that were there, that wasn't helpful for the Mormon church. But certainly they're happy to come to your door and tell you whatever they need to tell you. Right? Um, what do you think it means when Jesus said John the Baptist was the last prophet? They won't have any idea. What do you think it means when Paul and said God spoke to us through the prophets in the past for today he's speaking to And then, of course, you're going to need to deal with who Jesus is and who God is. And if you're not familiar with this, this Jesus is nowhere near your Jesus. But you're not going to know this unless you ask them about their Jesus. And you need to be talking about your Jesus a lot and who he is and what he means to you. So here's the way their theology goes. There's a Heavenly Father and a Heavenly Mother, and probably several Heavenly Mothers. They have sex. They have bodies of flesh and bone. Glorified bodies of flesh and bone. They have sex, but their children are spirits. That that even confused me in Mormonism. Like, why wouldn't they have bodies? They're spirits. So, the first spirit baby was Jesus. The second spirit baby was Lucifer, which makes them brother. And then you and i and everybody else was born next there was this great war in heaven right because lucifer wanted to be the savior there was a council of the gods and satan presented his plan jesus presented his plan jesus was accepted satan was angry took a third of the host of heaven oh okay. that's their theology Um, This Jesus they have in Mormonism then was a spirit child who came to earth to gain a body, and his atonement happened in the Garden of Gethsemane, although again, they're not going to talk about this much today because they know it's against Christianity, and so they'll just say, no. As opposed to the cross, it was Gethsemane. Yeah. What they'll say now is it started in Gethsemane and ended on the cross. That's what they love to say to you. So you're thinking, oh, that makes sense. But but what they really mean is the atonement happened in the garden when he sweat the blood and then he died on the cross. But because he died on the cross, nothing really special happened, just the the resurrection. And to them... The purpose of the resurrection is that every human that's ever lived or ever will live gets to stand at the white throne judgment and be judged for their works. That's all the resurrection does, according to Mormonism. So the cross is not significant. They don't use it. Instead, the angel Moroni is on their temples. angel Moroni was a prophet in the Book of Mormon who died and came back as an angel. Does that theology make sense? Do dead people come back as angels? No, but that's Mormon theology. So remember, I said no word means the same thing. So even if you're talking about angels, you're going to have to say, Oh, did he come as a messenger from God? Oh, no, he was a prophet who died and came. Oh, wow, that's interesting because, you know, it took me a bunch of time to figure those things out. So, that when when Jesus atoned for your sins in Mormonism, it's a partial atonement because there are unforgivable sins that humans cannot be forgiven for. And those are in the doctrine and covenants. So that was a huge thing for me to read the Bible and read that God had atoned for all sins and that there wasn't anything I could do that God couldn't cover, that his blood couldn't cover. Again, that's a good thing Mormons need to know. Cross is not revered by them. They teach salvation by works, and then grace will kick in if you've done enough. And then this Jesus worked his way to Godhood. They're never sure exactly when he received his Godhood. The very first verse I read in the Bible when my son challenged me to read it was John 1 1. In the beginning was the Word. I think that's Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus wasn't God from the beginning. He earned his Godhood. I actually said that to a Mormon on the plane the other day about a week ago. He said, that doesn't sound right to me. <laughs> I thought, well, I'll try a different one. Um, so I went to, oh man, when I was reading the Bible and I hit that verse that said, God doesn't live in temples made by human hands. I'm like, what? Just like it does, he said to me, "It does not say that in the New Testament." I said, "It says that twice in Acts, and it really rocked my world." You might want to go look it up. Just as gentle and as kind as you're watching him being convicted somebody next to me on appointment plane trying to talk to me about Mormonism I'm like okay thank you God here we go <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: so just like a week ago and I had
0: prayed Lord you know if there's an opportunity on the plane let me step into it mm-hmm. and um, so I put an unveiling grace in my bag And after two and a half hours of him asking me which scriptures it was that you know drew me out of Mormonism and I'm telling him one after the other I said, well, you know, we don't have time now to go through them all, but I wrote a book about it. Would you like to read it? And he's like, well, yeah, if you sign it. <laughs> <laughs> you got a deal. <laughs> yeah. All right. And, of course, okay, you know all Jesus that the Bible. Who is the heavenly father to you? Their heavenly father is a God who has a body, a flesh, and bone. He had a father who is God. He had a father who is God. It's, it's polytheism, many, many <clears throat> gods. They will say, I believe in Heavenly Father, and Jesus Christ, and the Holy Ghost. I believe in Heavenly Father, and so are those three separate gods, or is that one God? I believe in Heavenly Father, and Jesus Christ, <laughs> and the Holy Ghost. There are three separate gods to them. They do not believe in eternity. Do they have a problem
1: with?
0: Well, just because they know that you know that he's the one of many gods. So you've just revealed to them that you're aware of that. Mm-hmm. That, that could be why you're getting feedback on, pushback on that one. So the God of Mormonism, and, and again, you might be able to have conversations about this, doesn't hit any of these three. He's not omnipresent because he has a body of flesh and bone that confines into time and space. Okay. He's not omniscient, because he can't be all places, he can't know all things, and he's not all powerful, because he doesn't know all things. So, here's the thing with God's of Mormonism. Heavenly Father earned his Godhood first, and they believe in something called eternal progression. And they'll tell you, he's always learning, and I'm thinking, wow, don't you want the God that knew it all from the beginning? The Heavenly Father's always learning, Jesus earned his godhood next, and he's always learning, but he's behind father, he's always going to be behind father because father is Jesus is there, right? So if you read James White's book Forgotten Trinity, he says two things about the Trinity. I never said, oh, the Trinity is too confusing. I said him, it's very simple to me. Trinity, two things. The three members of the godhood are co-eternal. They've always been together, they'll always be together, they've always existed. they're in relationship, right? Mormonism doesn't fit that because they're created beings that have a starting point, okay? And they weren't always there, but they might always be together in the future, but they weren't always there, so they're not co-eternal. And the other thing about the Trinity is they're co-people. Each has a different role. One's not more important than the other. They've always been together from the beginning. They always will to be together. In Mormonism, there is a difference because one's smarter than the other because he's the best part and the next Okay. So that's the simple way that I deal with the Trinity with Mormons. It's really not that. It's really not that difficult. I'll tell them. You know. Two characteristics and the Mormon gods don't mean either of them. So we can't. Can we have the same God here? How have you reconciled the fact that the God of Mormonism and the God of the Bible are different, that they have different natures? And here's the other big one. They teach different ways to salvation. Now, do not use the term salvation with Mormons. It has a different meaning. You want to use the term eternal life. Use eternal life. Eternal life um, requires temple ordinances and doing everything right to leave the end of the world. So here's the definition of eternal life right in their missionary manual, page 70. So when they're te- when the missionaries are teaching you, they have a manual called Preach My Gospel. And on page 70, it defines eternal life. And this is their definition of eternal life. To live forever as families in God's presence. So eternal life requires a temple recommend, going to the temple, being married to a worthy spouse. That is eternal life for them. that's workspace faith. So I have a friend that's uh, witnessing to the missionaries right now, and she was doing that. And I got an email this morning, and she said... The missionaries got back to her and said, that's not workspace faith. We don't earn it. We're qualifying. We're qualifying for it. So that, that's their, their latest terminology. I'm like, how's that different from earning? Okay, that's interesting. You're qualifying for eternal life. Um, yeah, this bapt- and all this baptism for the dead stuff is crazy and what they're... Scriptures say about it. All these things are required in temple ordinances to save the dead, baptism for the dead, laying on the hands, confirming them a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter day Saints, priesthood, washings, anointings, new name, endowment, sealing. And I told you that there's only one way to guarantee that you're saved in this life. It's called second anointing. And it is an ordinance in the temple, which is the highest. In 2012, I was in Israel right before the election. And I was listening to a lecture by a man by the name of Gershon Solomon. And Gershon Solomon is a Jew who wants to rebuild the Third Temple. And during the lecture, he was kind of boring, and I wasn't paying much attention until I heard him say, I'm so excited, Romney was just here and promised us that he's elected, he's going to do the other city of Jerusalem, get there, Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. And the second thing he's going to do is help us rebuild our third temple on the temple. I thought, how interesting is that? Who else cares about temples, right? Than Jews and Mormons. Here's the next wacky thing that happened. I go home and all my Mormon friends, I probably have 200 on my Facebook still, are posting that the Mormon prophet just called Romney in. Washed his feet in the second anointing, uh, declared his godhood, and yeah, does that ring bell for revelation? Declared that he would definitely be God and that his eternal life was secure. So that's what the second anointing is about. So, how many people, a dozen maybe worldwide, we don't know. Right? It's like a presidential party. Yeah, yeah, kind of, right? But I found that really interesting. Wow, if he'd been elected president and they built the third temple, he could literally go in and say, my God, this is sugar, right? Wow, that is really interesting. (laughs) But I'm not saying anything. I'm just telling you, this is a wacky world. By grace, you're saying, temples and grace are the other things that I want to talk about. I will tell everyone, Lord, about your righteousness all day long. I will proclaim your saving power. He has so profoundly changed me um, that I I have a boldness to tell and thank God. that's similar to Muslims? Um, yeah, I actually done a couple television shows. You can probably find on YouTube for a channel called Trinity that has asked me to do that. So our ministry has never once done a video, but God has sent people to interview us and stuff and there are probably 150 videos up there, which Mormons question the Yeah. Was that Lee Baker, do you think?
1: No, he was a guy from Iowa Falls that came to a men's Bible study. Might have been James Spencer.
0: your Bible, you put a topic by them, so that, yeah, they would be turned off, they would think you know a lot about it, and you're out to get them, so that's how I do it, I would actually mark them, here's one of the things I think I'd like to do before I die, is do a Mormon study Bible, a study Bible that helps Mormons figure this doctrine out, that Christians know which verses they use, and which verses they
1: Preach my gospel that is online, you can see it so you can have an idea where they're going. So you could say, Okay, it's supposed to make sense. So.
0: The Unveiling Grace book I've had pastors teach the congregation like on a Wednesday night through the whole book, and a pastor in the Apple Stiffs, I'm happy to send it to you. I should just. Scorby and the U version people own the copyright for the King James, and they have a contract with the Mormon Church. The Mormon Church um, a few years ago violated their contract. So they were doing apps, they were doing audio, all kinds of stuff that wasn't in their contract with them. So the Mormon Church had to pay Scorby millions of dollars. And Scorby actually got a of us and asked us. Would help do something that reach back to the ones that they would use that money to it's not something we have time to do yet. But they do their King James is very similar to the King James that the Orbe does except the Mormon church puts their own headings and their own explanations at the beginning of chapters and they cross reference to Mormon scripture and something called the JST, Joseph Smith Translation. Before Joseph Smith died, he actually went through the Bible and fixed everything that was wrong. It's called the Joseph Smith Translation. As a wonder, I didn't even know it existed, but I knew that in my scriptures it sometimes told me to look at the JST. In fact, when I read John 1-1 and didn't understand it, I went to my Mormon reference. It took me to the JST. Joseph Smith had changed, not just John 1-1, entire first chapter of John, which changes the nature of God. And, and I was able to figure that out, you know, but not when I'm Mormon. So they're king, if you can get them, when they're at a certain stage, you need to get them out of their King James because it just leads them back to my doctrine, and it explains everything through right? Okay? and it was helpful for me about something like the ESV. And then, then the King James, I just kept thinking. The worship was new, the church was new, everything was new. My God, say, and that was scary, but it was good too. I think one thing I'm an ex-Mormon as of just a few months ago oh, is, is the freedom. Also, because I I was given your book and I felt guilty mm-hmm. reading it, and they they tell you not to read anything ex-Mormon or Anti-Mormon literature. Yeah. And so getting them to feel that freedom, that it is okay to seek truth. You know, it give, it, there's so much more freedom. Their world will open up so much more. And so showing them that, that Christ is freedom will be really influential. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> <That man. laughs> to that body. Tell me your name. Dessa. Oh, Dessa. Awesome.
1: Yeah. Um, I'm from a little town in Wyoming, and uh, the, uh, we're just about 51 percent Mormon in our town. Mm-hmm. And um, I'd like to visit with you sometime about some sort of the intricacies of living in small town in Western United States because yeah. there really is a cost involved yeah. mm-hmm. in standing. I mean, if you There's play a, if you play nice, everything's okay. but Anyway, I had a young Mormon missionary a couple months ago, um, or last summer, whatever. Um, but he asked me like three minutes into the conversation, "Have you read Little Wilders There's unveiling graves. He asked me that. The Mormons <laughs> did. How long did you know that? I'm not sure what that means.
0: To know you in the name of Jesus. Thank you for listening today. Boise Bible College exists to raise up leaders for the church, where we value scholarship, humility, innovation, and community. For more information about Boise Bible College, please see boisebible.edu.